Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Runes, all from Rogers Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. How are you doing? Hey, how are you? Again, oh, shavings. There you go. Now I can see our Yeah, no, I, I apologize. I just, like I said, I have been doing so many blog posts and mm-hmm. this is, that is for everybody that, and of course, with the release just being Tuesday of going. Yes. Yes. Well, tell us, tell us your name and then start telling us about your release, Anne. Uh, okay. My name is Anne Louise Ben and I am the author of several series, but in particular, the old Los Angeles series mm-hmm. that starts with Death of Ozan Harrow. And that one was set in 1870, spring Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, obviously, uh, and features Maddie Wilcox, a uh, winemaker. Well, in Zanjaro, she's just a winemaker and a healing woman. We later find out, and I kind of, it is kind of a spoiler, but if you're going to see the rest of the book, (laughs) read the (laughs) other books, you're going to know. She's actually a a trained medical doctor. Oh, okay. Um, Which was not unheard of at the time, but it wasn't. The most popular thing, you know, choice for women to go into for obvious reasons. Well, more more on the western frontier than uh-huh. in the established eastern hospitals and areas. Oh um, yeah, so I believe it's... there were more uh, doctors out west in that time period of that. They, they, well, like, yeah, and there was a very good reason for it. There weren't that many doctors. Period. You're right. You know, it, yeah. it was pretty ugly out there. <laughs> yeah, they were glad to have anybody. At that point, yeah. yes. Although, and you know, I know there was a woman, at least one woman doctor in Los Angeles. Um, I'm not sure when she actually got there, but the uh, there's a, a a book on the centenary of the Los Angeles County Medical Association, mm-hmm. and one of the presidents, and I believe it was 1911, was a woman, or at least she had a woman. There's a woman's name, right. so um, I uh, so I'm, I'm I'm kind of interested in that. Um, so I know she was there, there were women there and, there, mm-hmm. but they don't have, I don't see any ads for the women of doctors in the newspapers of the time, which I read well, rather assiduously. <laughs> <laughs> so but the, okay, you had a book but, come out this week. Yes. Tell, tell us about Death that. Death of an oh, yeah. It is book four in the old Los Angeles series. Mm-hmm. And in this particular one, it's it, it, there are two of the three, Death of the Sun Hero and Death of Veneras are actually fully fictional. Right. But Death of a City Marshal was based on the actual shooting of uh, City Marshal William Warren by his own deputy in a dispute mm-hmm. over a hooker. Yes, oh that really happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Death of the Chinese Field Hands uh, takes place mostly in the aftermath, but it starts with uh-huh. possibly one of the darkest uh, events in LA history, the lynching of 18 Chinese men uh, just because oh, they were my. Chinese. Yeah, it yeah. was uh, yeah. a terrible, terrible event. And uh, of course, Maddie has Chinese workers on her rancho. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, 
because that's what they did. They were, you know, they were laborers. And um, so two of them get murdered and a third, there's an attempt. Right. Now, why are you in LA? Because you've got a Pacific Coast uh, date (laughs) time. And I, I know, I'm, are you living in LA? Were you raised in LA? I am in LA uh, County. Uh, my husband and I actually live in an unincorporated area called Altadena, which is north of Pasadena. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of Pasadena. They have this little football game and parade on January 1st. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows about that one. No, yeah, it's <laughs> actually an insanely big deal around here. So I'm like, making right. fun of it. but yeah. um, no, um, what happened with Death of the Zon Harrow? My husband is the archivist for the city of Los Angeles, as in, okay. in charge of all the city records. Mm-hmm. Uh, that date all the way back to 1829. Those are the earliest, although LA was founded considerably earlier than that. There just right. weren't that many records. And what records right. they are, we think, are in Spain or in Mexico. We're not sure. Because that would make sense. Yeah, because those, you know, it was Spanish territory then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans didn't come in until 1849. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, well, there were Americans there. Let me put it that way. But it, they, the Americans didn't take over until 1829. Uh, right. 18, um, For the 49ers. 49. Uh, yeah. yeah, actually, it was the Bear Flag Revolt, which I actually, I may be mistaken on the 49. The 49ers were all up north because they were there with the gold brush. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But the uh, the Bear Flag Revolt. Yeah, that actually had to have been 48. It was right on top of the gold rush. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, uh, you know, and that took them a while to get the word back to mm-hmm. uh, the East Coast. That, hey, there's gold there. But uh, it was right on top of that. And the Treaty of Hidalgo, I think, was actually signed here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. outside of where Universal Studios is. Oh, OK. In the capital. Campo de Cuenca. <laughs> so um, obviously, LA history is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I, and the thing was, there was the, the, the way LA, and this goes back to the Mexican era, the way LA was irrigated for a very, very long time was there's the Los Angeles River. Now, that I got to warn you, the LA River is nothing like what any person from the East Coast would call a river, it's more like a stream. But it's fed by an underground uh, thing. It's dry very often, mm-hmm. but it does. It can get pretty strong and can get flow pretty hard. Uh, and in fact, here's a here's a fun fact: the actual site, uh, original site of the pueblo, when they first found it in 1781, that's how old LA is, mm-hmm. um, got washed out because the river had flowed. <laughs> and then they put a second one, built it a little higher. And that got washed out. <laughs> and so the present day oldest buildings in Los Angeles and the oldest street in Los Angeles, well, that came in in probably 1818. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, but they irrigated the place by digging these ditches, including a main ditch called the Zanja Madre, Zanja, Spanish for ditch, and the Zanja Madre was the mother ditch. And then they would dig little ditches off of that to the ranchos and farms. And this came off of the LA River. They called it the Porcine Cooler River. And uh, basically what you would do, and my husband's giving a talk on this, by the way, 
mm-hmm. and telling us how, because they'd found some pieces of the, the Zanha that had been bricked in, uh, the Zanha Madre, where it had been bricked in in the 1880s. But before right. that, it was just a dirt ditch. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband's giving this wonderful talk, and he's talking about how basically what you do is you go to the Zanjero, the water overseer, mm-hmm. who was the most uh, uh, important man in town. He got paid more than the mayor did. Yes, That's I how can imagine, because Southern California is dry. Oh, um, yeah, very arid. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we're really feeling that this year. We got a lot of bad drought going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you'd go to the Zon Harrow uh, uh, near the end of the month. You'd pay for your subscription of water. Mm-hmm. And you'd come back, get your receipt. Then the, Zon, the next day after that, the uh, Zon Harrow's men would come out and open the sluice gate to your Zanha, and the water would rush in. Mm-hmm. Now, when Michael got to this point in the talk, you can imagine what I'm thinking. I write murder mysteries. <laughs> Here comes the body. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can tell you write murder mysteries. So, it's just, <laughs> so that's exactly what Miguelito was thinking. Uh, his name's Michael. I, I just sometimes call him Miguelito. But uh, he, uh, God bless him, Michael Holland uh, is my husband. And he went with it, though. And, and next thing <laughs> I know, I've got these characters talking to me. And <laughs> anyway, that's how Death of Design Hero was born. So, and then of course they stumbled onto the Warren shooting and I, oh shoot, I got to do something with that. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the, they found out about the uh, Chinese massacre and around the mm-hmm. same time realized, oh yeah, that's going to have to come into it. And yeah. um, now these are all set in the 1870s. I didn't want to do the Mexican era because I'm not Mexican and right. mm-hmm. don't want to tell their story. That's not my right, mm-hmm. my right to do no that. appropriation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I didn't, uh, and I didn't want to deal with the Civil War because actually LA at the time was a hotbed of Confederate sympathizers. Mm. Well, a lot of people left. Mark Twain went to California. Uh, yeah, but he, I don't think he made it as far as Los Angeles though. He was mostly in the Northern part of the state. Right. And of course in San Francisco, hence the infamous line. I don't know if I, it's probably apocryphal, but you know, the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. And <laughs> Uh, yes. yeah, <laughs> that sounds like twine. That definitely is twine. <laughs> He's very cold, and so yeah, yeah. It, it's very cold up there. So, but I don't think he made it to say. Uh, but also because it was on the southern route, it was easier mm. for the southerners to get to California, right? Yeah, than it than it was for uh, them to get to Northern California. So, it, it, although a lot of them went up north too, because you know, let's face it, there was cold up there. And they're yeah. trying to get gold. And a lot of people came down from the mines. And L.A. in the 1870s, once the Americans got there, by the way, it became this incredibly violent place. That's one of the things I always laugh about this series. I've actually got the Cabot Cove syndrome set, uh, <laughs> uh, taken care of because, you know, how the joke is, you know, the, the, the murder a week in Cabot Cove. Well, who wants to live there? Well, actually, I've got a realistic situation <laughs> setting where you could expect to find a murder <laughs> a year or two, you know, <laughs> even though so you, just stumbled upon, you just stumbled upon this historical time period that was perfect for you. Yeah, I really did. I was thinking 1870s and then I just, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And it just kind of came together. And 
LA has always been a very interesting place. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of people don't think of it, a, it that way. I mean, when, it, when you think of Los Angeles, you think the movies, you think Hollywood and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that's a legitimate part of our history, major but part of our part. history. It's a part. It's a part. Mm-hmm. And it is our major industry, too, really. Right. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, yeah. The, the entertainment industry employs more people in the Los Angeles area than any other industry. Well, mm-hmm. Disney Company, which is based in Burbank, employ is the largest employer in Southern California, period. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's well, a large proper I, economic base. So you stumbled into this time period. Were you looking for a story to write or did you stumble into it and the characters started yakking at you and you had to do something with them? A little both, actually. Um, it was mostly driven by, you know, the lecture. And that's Mm -hmm. when the characters started coming. But to be honest, I had been looking for uh, a story to write based on something Mm -hmm. in the archives because, you know, here's my husband. I've got this wonderful resource. Mm -hmm. And this gal I knew was, you know, found out that, you know, Michael's an archivist and he's, you Mm -hmm. know, where he was working at the time. And she goes, oh, you've got to do something with that. (laughs) You don't know what you've got. And I'm like, yeah, I do, honey. Don't worry about it. I just haven't found the right story yet. <laughs> and uh, and another friend of mine was saying, well, why aren't you writing anything with a winemaker? And the funny thing was, right around the same time, Michael, who makes wine at home, by the way, mm-hmm. was starting to get into the history of winemaking wine in Los Angeles. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do not know the European commercial wine industry began in California began in LA. It did not begin in Napa. I did um, not know that. No, it began. Jean Vigne, the aptly named, <laughs> brought European varietals and sold them at El Ali Sal, which was in Los Angeles, and did that in the 1820s. Ah, uh, yeah. And Matthew Keller had most of what is now Malibu planted out in vines in the by the 1850s. Right. Um, so we were shipping wine and grapes up to San Francisco mm-hmm. for a very, yeah. very long time. Right. And uh, people didn't, you know, they don't realize that. In fact, there was even a sherry that the uh, Padres had started making in the Mexican right. era and continued called Angelica. Right. And it's a fortified wine, but they were using it to, you know, for mass and, and things mm-hmm. like that. But that's named for Los Angeles. Right. So it's, you know, so Michael's getting into the history of winemaking. I wanted to do something with a winemaker. So Maddie became a winemaker. Right. And Mm -hmm. uh, she had to be a woman of means because, you know, she has to have some agency. She's, you know, trying to investigate a crime here. And uh, so I made her a widow, which I've had a lot of fun with. (laughs) And, uh, uh and her you know uh, figured out her well she started yakking at me i mean it was just bad <laughs> and then, then regina medina starts yakking at me and Angel- angelina and you know sebastian on all the other characters and there are a lot of hispanics still in town at the time uh-huh. uh, and uh you know but there was this incredibly violent pueblo that yeah. you know with a lot of transient men so i have a lot of fun mm-hmm. with that too right yeah. So, so you, you almost were handed the perfect setting for yourself. 
and um, Tom yeah. crying. And yeah. then the characters arrived and started yakking, and it's well, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, a combination of that. I mean, they, they started yakking first, and then I started realizing that setting really rocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how how have you worked your publishing journey from from those original ideas when you were looking and it started speaking to you? What what steps did you take next on your start um, on your journey? I had to do a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fortunately, you know, I got my husband there who's pulling things out for me and, and, mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. But that, you know, even then it couldn't, it wasn't complete. We're trying to figure out how the sluice gates actually work. We had no idea. We wow. didn't know what they were made of. Um, and, you know, you'd look in the city councilman, uh, you know, the common councilman, it's, excuse me. You'd look at the common councilman and say, $50 to the Zanjero for materials. Didn't say what the materials were. <laughs> um, so I do a lot of primary document stuff. Well, you know, my husband's, well, I like them anyway, truth be told. I, I've always liked them even before I knew my husband, but that's, you know, kind of a, a big thing for both of us. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at the local newspapers. I also started reading some novels from around that time. Right. One of them in particular, one set of novels in particular was those of Louisa May Alcott. Yes. Yeah. And that really gave me Maddie's voice. Mm-hmm. And now uh, the old Los Angeles series is told from her perspective in her voice. She is writing mm-hmm. her memoirs much later. Um, and I have fun with that, but her voice, that's one of the reasons why she's originally from Boston is because mm-hmm. her voice is Lisa May Alcott's and, and there, yeah. there are, there's the odd nod or two to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. in the uh, in the books and i have fun with that mm-hmm. and you know again death of an heiress the character who unfortunately is the heiress who we lose was i had a lot of trouble killing her off um <laughs> actually i was doing research for uh, i was reading the local newspapers because i was reading all, all all the press coverage of uh marshall warren's death mm-hmm. and well, it wasn't technically a murder. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, he was shoot. He shot first and got shot instead. <laughs> so it was defense. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it it was so, not sort of. <laughs> sort of. Joe Die was come. It was screaming at the guy. They, what happened? And this is the real fact of what happened mm-hmm. is that uh, William Warren was notorious for. Um, uh, you know, sh- shooting first, asking questions later. He was a hothead and a half. Well, so was Joe Dye, his deputy. And the two had been friends. But then there were these warrants that got sworn out on a couple of, on this one prostitute who kept running away. Mm-hmm. And she was a Chinese prostitute. And the her, her pimp would basically swear out that a warrant on her that she had stolen some stuff. She hadn't. Mm-hmm. But he wanted her back and best way to get Warren and his crew. Well, there's a hundred bucks in it for you. If you do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so right. basically he, he swore out a bounty on her. Well, Warren twice caught her before died. It die was not happy that second time on October 31st, he comes after Warren with a cane that he's brandishing like a cudgel. Right. And that, that's literally in the account. Ah, 
So Warren pulls a Derringer. And then he's not going to wait for Die to get that close. <laughs> Wings die in the, in the, in the uh, forehead. Doesn't stop Die. The guns come out. Bam, 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 bam. <clears throat> Two deputies are wounded. Another Chinese person has gotten it in the jaw. Mm-hmm. Well, die got one in the leg. And Warren's down. Mm-hmm. I'm killed. And they bring him to his house. And uh, he expires overnight because apparently the bullet had pierced his bladder, but he didn't die right away. Al, I posit that maybe it wasn't Joe Dye's shot that killed him. Right. <laughs> That's really, you can't have a whodunit if you know who done it. But That's I do correct. make it plausible that there's a reason why the original record stood. That yeah. was one thing that was very important to me because I yeah. didn't want to go against that. But you know, and die got off eventually because it was self-defense, theoretically. And even though the newly formed L.A. police force and was newly formed and uh, Warren was technically their first chief, although that's kind of fuzzy. We don't know exactly how that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um he is also the per- first officer killed in the line of duty, but because he was behaving so skankily himself, they can't really call him the first officer killed in the <laughs> line of duty. Right. <laughs> so uh, what's your writing process like? Um, um, you've got your idea and you've got your time period. You know your... I want to get your research going. And research is an ongoing thing, so that's always mm-hmm. part of that. Yeah, but the, yeah. the writing process is... A lot of walking around and thinking. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm a very audio writer. I mean, mm-hmm. if the characters aren't, characters aren't talking to me, I'm in doo-doo. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm in trouble. Right. Um, but it's a lot of walking around. Um, then I'll get about two to three chapters in. I'll just start writing because that's what's going on. Get two, three chapters in and realize I've lost track of this story. I better get something down and, and I'll develop an outline after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, it's, and that's what usually happened, but it is by no means the only thing or everything that happens. I mean, mm-hmm. I've gotten a little further on my current work in progress before I got the outline down. Right. But, um, but then I just write and, and because I spend, I do most of my writing in my head before I ever get to the, uh, the, the computer. And because of that, I tend to be a very fast writer. That's one of the reasons why I'm very prolific. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just when you do it all up here first, and then you just go, <laughs> you've got right. it. But yeah. uh, uh, it, it's one of those things. <laughs> so it's that they talk. And it, it, it actually, if I, if I do have a problem, it's remembering to describe the visual elements. I sometimes forget. Mm-hmm. Yes, because since you're audio, that's, yeah. you're thinking more about what people are saying, what people are hearing, rather than what people are seeing. Um, yeah what they're imagining kind of thing yeah yeah i I had to do that um fascinating rhythm which is the start of my 1920s series i had to do that with um you know i was having trouble writing uh, describing the office so i finally just had you know my character looking down at the traffic below and then the the door opening the roar of the typewriters outside because this is the 1920s and there were typewriters and those things are noisy and then this, the muffling of it as the door shut. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So I was able to go, you know, so that added that twist of life, but at the same time, it went with my strength as opposed to my weakness. So, mm-hmm. yes, I can see how that works. What do you think is your best tool for when you're writing? Um, something that I've had people talk about spreadsheets. People have talked about loving Scrivener, um, which I just use Microsoft Word. Uh, uh, one person talked about her ergonomic desk. She could not live without her desk. Um, so what do you find your best tool when you're writing? I got lots of tools and being the closet geek that I am, <laughs> <laughs> most of them are software and I play with everything. <laughs> it's just, uh, right now, my favorite, uh, I'm, I'm having a blast with the, the Aeon Timeline 3. The, mm. the, and again, I have it both in, I... You know, well, you can't see it, but I'm at my desk right now. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you on a Windows computer that I helped build with a couple of friends of mine who happen, mm-hmm. one of whom happens to be an engineer over Jet Propulsion Labs. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was flying the Mars drone. Okay. <laughs> this is a guy. <laughs> I had some high level help here. <laughs> because <laughs> i'm not see the thing is compared to most writers and most uh, people my age i am a total geek compared to some of my other friends it's like amateur <laughs> <laughs> so um but i have my desk here i've got my double wide monitor because mm-hmm. i love my double wide monitor right. um i've got you know my logitech camera i have another 360 camera i've got my phone and I've got my iPad Pro sitting mm-hmm. here with timeline, Aeon timeline on it. Uh, I've got an icon in my toolbar for Atticus. I'm working mm-hmm. in Scrivener right now. I do uh, compile into Word and do my editing in Word. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another, I don't know if you can see it. Oh, I have another iPad, regular mm-hmm. iPad here with a keyboard. Both of these have attached keyboards, by the right. way. Um, so, you know, what tool can I not live without? I don't know. <laughs> my computer, because let's face it, word processing made my profession possible. I could not, if yeah. I had to retype everything out, I would not now be a writer. I will tell you that right now. Right. I, I, I grew up with an tool. old manual royal typewriter and it would kill your fingers to type an essay in college. Um, oh, I had a little awesome. tiny portable and I, mm-hmm. I, in high school, I got it when I was about 10 years old and it was this little manual. I think it was a Royal come to think of it, mm-hmm. but I tried typing out my first uh, novel when I was uh, shortly, I wrote it when I was 15. Mm-hmm. It will never see the light of day. It sucked, <laughs> <laughs> but I tried t- retyping it. it. I don't know that I got that far with it. <laughs> uh. I wrote my first novel in middle school. Oh um, my God. I think it was 20 pages long. Oh, it might've been, might been 25 pages, but it, it has long, long gone into the trash. <laughs> oh no. I kept mine. I kept all 358 pages I wrote. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. <laughs> no, I was daydreaming a lot. Okay. I was a moody teenager. <laughs> that was it i mean i was just like okay (laughs) i need which which part of writing do you find easy the easiest the hardest 
and the one that you're still working on, whether it's craft or it's the promotional part of it or what do you well, find? I'm always working on the promotional part of it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the things I really, I hate social, I love social media and I hate it at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mostly like Facebook because I like connecting with my friends, but you mm-hmm. know, I, the fact that I have to be on it kind of like I'm less than enthused. Um, so promotion is always going to be a pain in the ass. Uh, uh, and I think that for me is the hardest part of it you know, is having to do that. Um, there are other hard, visual elements. Again, that's always, right. I, I really have to think about it mm-hmm. because I'm not a visual person. I mean, mm-hmm. I do see things and I see fairly well, but it's just, you know, I don't always remember to describe things and, right. and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that, because I don't, I'm just not thinking that way. It's all my, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing people. Right. Not seeing the scenes. So the conversations um, and what they're, what they might be thinking or what they might be saying to someone, that would be the easiest. That is the easiest. Yeah. Dialogue. I write, I'm told I write good dialogue and yeah, I'm hearing it. And, you know, people tell me when they talk about the old Los Angeles series, one of the things they say is Maddie's voice is so distinctive. Well, yeah, (laughs) I hear it. You talk talk about the, the series with Maddie. You obviously have other series. Tell us about those. Well, I mentioned the first one with Fascinating Rhythm. That's the yeah. 1920s Freddie and Kathy series. Um, Freddie uh, Little is a millionaire and uh, he's written a novel. And uh, right on, t- and he sends it to this publishing house called Hillcroft House, and, where it is being edited by Kay Briscoe, who turns out to be Kathy Briscoe, mm-hmm. who is doing her boss's work for him. Yeah. Except that his boss, deep into the night of December 8th, 1924, obsession took the life of Frank Selby. In other <laughs> words, he did. And so uh, Kathy obviously becomes a suspect. And obviously, there's more than just a uh, the, Freddie and Kathy get attracted to each other. And that's mm-hmm. followed by Bring Into Bondage, which they end up in Kathy's place. Oh, dear. We only have nine 10 minutes, minutes left. Okay. Um, and then the third series that I really like that I originally wrote this in the 1980s. I wrote a cozy spy series. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you write a cozy spy series? I have no idea. It's also, <laughs> you can also call it a romance with espionage intrusions because it's, mm-hmm. it's extended romance. <laughs> love that. Espionage <laughs> intrusions. <laughs> what? I love that. Espionage intrusions. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually that's me quoting Dorothy, uh, paraphrasing Dorothy Sayers in the introduction mm-hmm. to Busman's Honeymoon. <laughs> you know, It's a romance with mystery intrusion. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, this is a romance with espionage intrusion. It's about this uh, Sid and Lisa, Sid Hacker and Lisa Witcherly, uh, in which it starts out, uh, Sid is this, uh, basically he plays, he play, he's, he, he sleeps around and Lisa is a virgin. And you know, I had to make him not sleazy, which was really challenging. Mm-hmm. But I set him up as this guy who was, grew up among a bunch of hippies and everything. And mm-hmm. so, and it, you know, I kept it in its original 1980s uh, uh, setting because if I hadn't, Sid couldn't, ex- he just couldn't excuse, exist now, Dammy. I mean, you, you know, yeah. he'd be dead. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Too many STDs, yes. Yeah, so anyway, so that's that. And, and that's uh, where that is. Uh, so that is serious. And I blogged that one out. I, I'm in the middle of a little family business, which is book seven in the series. Mm-hmm. Oh, book eight, excuse me. Book nine is just because you're paranoid this coming up. I'm a little... <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's it, so you, they, they've, they've come a long way since we first met them in that old cloak and dagger routine. <laughs> Do you have difficulty switching from uh, series to series when you, when you get an idea for, you've been working perhaps in the, the 1870s time period and all of a sudden you have an idea for the 1920s. Is it difficult for you to switch? Um, no. Not really. Um, again, because I'm audially oriented, and mm-hmm. Lisa, who describes things in the 1980s, who is uh, part of that series, um, she's got a very distinctive voice. Sid has a very distinctive voice. Mm-hmm. Freddie and Kathy also have a very distinctive voice. And also keep in mind that one is the one series that is uh, third person mm-hmm. narrative. narrative. So it's really easy for me to switch. Um, also, the time periods are very, very different. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things are, you know, the, the challenge with the 80s series is remembering what technology was available and what wasn't. Yes, yes. And, but that's easily looked up. That's a blast. So yeah. um, they're, they're, it, it's actually pretty easy. I, I, again, and a lot of it, again, because I hear it. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's very, each, each character is very distinct for me, so. Right. How do you maintain productivity? Do you work every day or do you take time off or, or what? Well, I try to take my weekends off. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's just healthy. Um, that doesn't mean I always do. In fact, I'll mm-hmm. probably be, in fact, I've got my launch party tomorrow. Um, so there's that. Uh, I mostly, I, I block off my day an hour and a half chunks you know email filing in the morning uh then two chunks of uh time for a project or projects um you know getting my blog posts written and all that stuff and then i try and usually succeed to have sacred writing time at the end of the day i used to do it first thing in the morning except then i'd get so excited about writing i wouldn't stop and then other things wouldn't get done that needed to be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yes, kind yes. of a problem. The nice thing about the end of the day, I can keep going after dinner. So mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> but I do yes. have to stop to make dinner and have dinner with my husband because, you know, he, he, he's a nice guy. He's supporting me. I've got to be nice <laughs> to him. And it's easy to do because he's a nice guy. So. Okay. Do you do uh, a certain number of words per day or do you t- do a time period? I've, I try not to because I get neurotic. That's the one disadvantage I'm finding with Scribner. It's really easy to tell how much I've written each day and Mm -hmm. I get neurotic (laughs) and I think (laughs) I haven't written enough. No, you wrote the scene you needed to write, get over it. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's the, that's the tough thing. And, you know, there's always interruptions. I mean, you know, we did, do I have time for the chicken story? Yes, I think you do. (laughs) Okay. Uh, my husband used to raise chickens. We were probably getting some more soon. Uh, but um, one of them got loose one day uh-uh. while in the middle of sacred writing time. <laughs> and I could hear the dog going nuts in the backyard because Toby Wan loves chicken for lunch. Okay. 
<laughs> I love Toby Wan. <laughs> oh, Toby Wan's a darling, but you know, he loves chicken for lunch. <laughs> and, uh, so I got the dog hauled into the house and, and sequestered in the back and he's going nuts. <laughs> he's a basset hound. So he's got that howl, you know? And, uh, so he's going nuts and I'm trying to get chicken back into the side yard because mm-hmm. what will happen, it had gotten loose because it had grown wings and those, they fly. Now keep in mind, I hate chickens. <laughs> I'm perfectly okay with chickens on little styrofoam trays. Okay, that's how I want to deal with chicken. <laughs> Frozen. Okay, I'm good with that. But I hate chicken. And so this damn bitty, I was so mad. And I'm trying to get those things haul birdie butt. That's even without flying. <laughs> so I'm trying to get. So I get it cornered into the side yard. Get the mm-hmm. gate open. The damn thing had run away. <laughs> I don't like get the other chickens out of it. So finally, the back door happened to be open, and we have a a front loading washer, and we keep the door of the front loading washer open because it smells otherwise, right? Right. So, <laughs> the damn bird gets in there. Next thing I know, it's in the front loading washer. <laughs> I looked at the chicken. I thought, let's see, that's not a uh, that, that, that's not a vacuum in there. I'm sorry. Effort slammed the door to the washer, went back and finished writing. She had him corralled. I had the little butter corralled, then had to go back and actually handle the little thing. But I got it out and got it into the the side yard. But yeah, Michael was a little nonplussed about (laughs) there being a chicken in the washer. Imagine, I can't imagine that. Oh, that sounds horrible. Can you imagine cleaning it up? After? Oh, it wasn't bad. I just turned the washer on, it just washed it right out. It's a washer, <laughs> Put a lot of bleach in there. Yeah, it's a washer, that's what it does. I'm not worried about it. Uh, well, we are down to second. Uh, so I want to thank you so much for agreeing to the interview. This is thank wonderful. You. And I wish you all good luck on your launch day tomorrow. Um, I will. If you can uh, send me links, links to your website, links perhaps to books, that would be great. And I'll put that in the show notes. um, And then I'll get everything to you as soon as I can get it worked up. All right. Thank you so much, Ann. Well, thank you, Emily. And thank you for your patience. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emily Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.